This is Client Side from Fox Agency. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about. Wait! Okay now, from the beginning. This is an audio recording of the webinar that we ran back in December called Will B2B Sales Ever Be The Same Again? And it was a brilliant and timely chat about how B2B sales teams go to market, prospect, and sell in a remote world. Something sadly we've all had to get used to over the last 12 months. As we come out of lockdown, in the UK at least, the question to ask ourselves is, will we revert back to business as usual? when we come out of this thing or have we developed new behaviors and habits that will stick around with us for the long term by the way the panelists in the discussion were only brent adamson the vp of gartner and co-author of the challenger sale methodology marie Burkfell, the head of marketing portfolio communications at bobs and jeff phillips the former marketing director at sage and now founder of canvas marketing it was an absolutely brilliant conversation i enjoyed it i know that you will as well Go to Fox Agency slash Client Side where you can see our latest webinar, The Golden Age of IoT. Fascinating discussion. Until then, enjoy this recording of the webinar that we ran in December. Will B2B sales ever be the same again? Good afternoon, good morning, wherever you're listening and joining from, and welcome to today's webinar uh, from the Client Side podcast team here at Fox Agency. My name is Nathan Anibaba, and I am the host of the session today. Our talk today is entitled, Will B2B Sales Ever Be The Same Again? Um, I'm super excited to host this panel discussion with you. We've got a panel of three absolute B2B sales and marketing heavyweights. The webinar will be recorded and a copy of, of the webinar will be sent to you after the session. And final note is to say that to find more great content from Fox Agency, uh, head over to fox.agency slash client side and subscribe to our podcast where you'll find other great sales and marketing B2B leaders and be notified when we've got more podcasts and webinars available. So now I'd like to introduce the premise of our discussion. As we all know, the COVID-19 pandemic has really forced B2B buyers and sellers to go digital in a massive way. What started out as really a crisis response has become uh, the new normal with really big implications for how buyers and sellers will do business both now and in the future. McKinsey research recently found out that between 70 to 80% of B2B decision makers prefer remote human interaction or digital self-service and B2B decision makers behavior globally across different industries suggests that these big digital shifts are really here to stay. So we've got three industry heavyweights here to discuss the implication for what this really means for our businesses today and moving forward. So introducing our three guests today, Brent Adamson is the distinguished vice president of Gartner and co-author of the phenomenally successful books, The Challenger Sale and The Challenger Customer. He's a frequent contributor to the Harvard Business Review and Forbes. He's worked with hundreds of senior executives across virtually every industry, geography and go-to-market model. Thank you very much and welcome Brent Adamson. Great to be here, Nathan. Marie Bergfeld is the Head of Marketing and Portfolio Communications at BOT. She has extensive experience working strategically and operationally in multicultural and cross-functional environments. Her background spans both B2B and B2C marketing communications, leading teams with energy, results orientation, loyalty and a positive attitude to deliver high quality on time and on budget. 
She was also a recent guest on our, on our podcast and really helped inspire the topic for the webinar today. So thank you very much for that, Marie, and welcome to the webinar. Thank you, Nathan. And last but not least is Jeff Phillips. Jeff is the former marketing director at Sage and founder of Canvas Marketing. He is an award-winning marketer, speaker, and coach with proven experience at C-suite levels across multiple sectors from FTSE 100 to high growth SMEs. Uh, he's worked with brands including Baxi, Avery Dennison, uh, Canon and Caspian. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks, Nathan. Hello to everyone. First question. Hope you guys are all, all ready for this. As we said, the, the research from, from McKinsey that, that came out recently cited that more than three quarters of buyers and sellers say they now prefer digital self-serve and remote human engagement over face-to-face -face interaction. Self-serve and remote interactions have made it easier for buyers and sellers to get information, place orders, uh, and arrange service. Uh, and customers have really enjoyed that speed and, and convenience. Only about 20% of B2B buyers say that they hope to return to some form of in-person sales, in even in sectors where field sales models have traditionally dominated, uh, such as pharma, heavy machinery, um, and medical products. So the question that we have for, for you guys is, is this good or bad for B2B business? And if so, what are the implications for how we go to market both now and in the future? Um, who wants to kick us off? I can start as I'm the woman then. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's good in the long run, but I think it also requires a lot from companies to be able to continue on this and to be successful on doing all the digital things. Data is one thing. All companies now need to have complete track of who their customers are, what they're doing, opposed to in the more physical world where the sales person himself is um, or herself is keeping track of their, their clients. So to keep this continuous digital interaction with customers, data is definitely essential. You know, Nathan, the question of is it a good or a bad thing is, um... Uh, the answer is always, I suppose, it depends. But if you're not ready for it, it's a horrible thing, right? If you're not willing to go on the journey, then it's a really, really bad thing because, in fact, the world is going to change pretty significantly. But nonetheless, I think we do have to make a distinction between digital selling in the terms of digital through virtual selling. So human beings, sales professionals are still involved, but selling virtually as opposed to in person. That's one form of digital. And then there is digital selling where there's no humans involved at all. It's self-serve. And those two things are going to be very different in how they evolve. But nonetheless, I think they're going to be both critically important. I would imagine we all think they're going to be critically important uh, going forward. Uh, you know, the, the better way to think about that 20% number is that it, 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 there's a couple ways to look at it. It's like only 20% of customers will ever want to talk to a sales rep again. It's probably not the right way to think about this. I think it's rather if for any given deal, the proportion of the amount of time that that deal is uh, it, where customers engage in that deal with directly with human beings in person is going to go down. So I think for, for a lot of particularly large complex deals, there will probably still be an in-person someone in someone else's office component. Um, but much more of that will be um, done virtually. And I think that's talking to heads of sales and heads of sales enablement. One of the things they've all been just kind of amazed by is just how much you can accomplish with a customer virtually because everyone's now more open to it than they were, say, a, a year ago. So there is no question that that's here to stay. I think there's a, because we're all human beings and many, not all of us, but many of us crave interaction, some of the human element of face-to-face -face will come back. 
but if you're not ready or willing to move into this new reality, it's going to be a, a pretty painful place because this is, in fact, the new the new way we're all going to interact. I think. I would agree with uh, with both comments. I mean, the, um, Brent touched on the fact that you know high value, more complex sales, they're the ones who are probably sitting within that twenty percent bracket because it's just harder to do it. Um, and particularly if it's something that re relies on some form of physical interaction, maybe it's a physical demonstration or um, you know, physical product that you really need to actually see, and it's and it we can't yet quite fully represent that in a in a digital sphere. So I think that's where a lot of that comes from. Is it good or bad? I, I would say you know one of the very good things, particularly from across the sales and marketing sphere, is that it's it's broken down barriers that previously existed, and has forced us to to do things differently when we previously had a fear of doing it. And to, you know, to Brent's point, it's it's driven us to to do something that we weren't necessarily comfortable with, but actually have found it reasonably um, straightforward to do. You know, there was the stats in the McKinsey uh, piece around you know how fast businesses got up and running. I think it was 90% plus were up and selling very very quickly, either because they were ready equipped or because they found a way to to do it very quickly. Um, but I, I think the, the the really good thing that it's done is to teach us all you know new skills. So new ways of interacting, broaden our portfolio of the way that we, the way that we engage, the way that we um, converse with with potential clients, and the way that we convert with them. But you know, let's not forget as well. A big part of this is it's not just about sales. It's also how you then onboard customers. It's how you service them. How you how you make sure that they get value from your um, from from whatever it is that you're selling as well. And that I think is a big thing that that has to be considered in in all of this. Mm -hmm. Really, really interesting in insights, guys. I'm, I'm going to ask the rest of the um, attendees now the same question. So um, I'm going to launch a poll. And the question is, is this new go-to-market model good or bad for your business? And then be interesting to sort of canvas everyone's thoughts and opinions. You know, Nathan, as people are filling it out, one of the things that's interesting is that I, I think what's, what's, what we really have in front of us now is potential. And it's going to be very interesting to see which companies grasp that potential, go, you know, so, so embrace that potential versus those who are going to still, despite everything, Jeff, to your point about, we've just, we've just had an incredibly clear demonstration that we can change and change dramatically and change dramatically quickly. Uh, and yet, I think as things go back to something closer to normal, there will be at least some of those of us who want to go back to something closer to a comfort zone and others who's like, wow, we've got momentum, let's keep it and we'll push forward. And and that's where I think the break is really going to happen is between now and say 12 months from now, where you know many companies will push even for, uh, more aggressively forward with the changes they're making and some will begin to hang back. And I think we'll begin to see gaps between winners and losers uh, really dramatically across the next 12 months, just a guess. I completely agree with you, but it is, it's really a change management in a company to make these uh, people who are used to the very physical and they are very comfortable with that to grasp the new situation of, of, of acting digitally. Uh, and, and it's with everything. You have the early adopters, those who do it immediately, no worries, and then you will have those who really have are struggling to to keep up with the with, with the new uh, technology instead of uh, the face-to-face -face things. Completely agree, Marie. That's something I want to come back to you a little bit later on, Marie, because uh, that's something that's really quite pertinent to your business. 
bops, which we discussed on the podcast, which will, I've got a very specific question for you later on, on that. But, but to your point, Bren, I, I think um, the results here really mirror the optimism or the potential that a lot of people are seeing in this opportunity. 93% of people have said that this new model is, is really good for business. Um, I'd be keen to understand why the 7% of people said that it wasn't good for, good for business or their business specifically. Overwhelmingly, a lot of optimism and positivity there from the vast majority of people on the, on the webinar. Let's go to our next question. So the research from McKinsey also highlighted the fact that 44% of B2B buyers were happy to order high value products with remote demos and, and cameras. And to your point, Jeff, software companies have been selling in this way for a very long time and technology companies have, but businesses selling physical products such as complex machinery or medical uh, devices may struggle as we've, as we've uh, just highlighted. So for those more traditional businesses that rely on in-person sales and in-person selling, what should sales teams be thinking about now to make the ordering process as effective as possible? And what opportunities does this present to B2B businesses? Um, maybe just to expand on the point that we made before. I think, um, you know, there's, there's, there's huge opportunity, right? And I'm not going to cover off all of it right here, but, um, you know, we've referred for years as, uh, as moving towards omni-channel businesses, um, but not necessarily every business has gone into that kind of direction. And I think, um, you know, for those businesses that have embraced it, obviously they've found it easier to transition. And as you say, you know, professional services, technology businesses, software, the like have, have found it relatively easy to transition because they've had that model and the infrastructure already. I think the um, we, we touched on it earlier in that, um, you know, if, if you're talking about those more complex sales or maybe the physical sales, actually it's forcing through technology that probably a lot of the salespeople would have wanted for quite a period of time, but just haven't been able to justify and haven't necessarily, most importantly, been able to prove the value of it. And now we're in that, that kind of situation where actually you can get that value from the technology by integrating that in with a broader sales model. Um, and actually do away with a lot of the admin or more transactional elements of a sales process and use technology for that, be it a self-serve, be it a, you know, a combined experience, virtual versus physical. And then some of the real important stuff that can only be done through a physical um, interaction, you know, particularly if it's a physical demonstration of something. Um, well, you know, we will ultimately come back to a point in time where that will be able to happen. But actually, it will deliver huge efficiencies, um, huge ability to be a lot more agile and flexible, reach more customers, be much more efficient about about when you use that physical resource um, in tandem with that that technology powered resource. Um, and I think it will it will also um, it will also spur on a lot of other technology developments. You know, I think we've learned over the last six to twelve months that actually we can develop technology quickly, we can implement it quickly. There are models out there that uh, that can't be broken um, easily, um, and I think that will drive a whole a whole heap of new innovation out of this. That actually, when we get into a freer world where investment starts to flow more, and um, potentially it will it will create a much richer, you know, uh, omni-channel experience that uh, that will fit multiple businesses in whatever guise they they decide to deploy it. Anyone else want to want to jump in there? 
the um you know the the thing nathan i think is uh, i was thinking about this this morning the uh how many for those of my age and older i suppose you know you think across the last 20 30 years how many things have we said there's no way you could buy that online or no way you could sell that online and lo and behold here we are buying and selling those things online right i mean just if you think about just two weeks ago tony shea passed from the founder of zappos and when zappos is an online shoe retailer now owned by amazon uh, when when Zappos got started, none of us thought you'd ever buy shoes online. You got to go to the store. You got to try them on. I don't want to send them back. It's too hard. And now I, I haven't bought a pair of shoes in a store in I don't know five years. And yeah, I've bought lots of shoes. Trust me. So the uh, uh, and I so the reason I say that is because now it's like, well, this is a big industrial machine. You got to walk around it. You got to touch and feel it. You got to see it. You got to run it. I think uh, it, the 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 limit to our ability to sell that virtually online is our own creativity. That's my, then I think the, the ones who win in this world are the ones who come up with a solution to do this virtually that we all look at five years from now and say, why didn't I think of that? Or I would have never guessed that that was possible. And that's that, the, you know, the, 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 there's a much longer version of this, but I think if, if I think back across the last about 20 years of sales and marketing, B2B sales and marketing, there was a window through which we differentiated by our product and then that window closed. And then there was a window through which we differentiate ourselves by our solutions and everybody had solutions. So that was no longer a source of differentiation. Over the last 10 years, we've all sought to differentiate ourselves through thought leadership and saying really smart things to our customers to show that we could be trusted and believed. And lo and behold, through data and content marketing, and everything else, we all got collectively really, really good at saying smart things to our customers. So that's no longer a source of differentiation. I think the, the big window of differentiation to across the next five to 10 years is those companies come up with these very creative, unexpected, powerful, immersive, immersive digital experiences that, to Jeff's point that can allow suppliers to sell both in-person, virtually in-person, in-person, and digitally all in a very seamless way that creates a very rich experience for your customer. That's where creativity, the, the ones who win are going to be the ones who pour their creativity into that and create windows of differentiation through digital that just don't, we can't even imagine today. I would say, as I represent uh, one of this more traditional heavy heavy machinery sales uh, companies, I mean, we are learning. Of course, we were we didn't know what to do in March, but we have tried. We have sold equipment machines without customers touching the machine at all already. And for every demo, every uh, interaction we do with customers we learn something and we become better and uh, and of course we need to have maybe some external help once in a while but but we are definitely moving in that direction and i think you're right it's only our own creativity that stops it and, and marie how have your customers adapted to that because traditionally a lot of your customers i know are in uh remote locations around around the world they're used to more traditional forms of communication. Um, how have they adapted to uh, this sort of remote environment? Has it been quite easy for them to adapt or has it been more of a struggle? It depends, of course. I mean, big groups, uh, the Western world easier. Yes, definitely. Smaller companies. I mean, we have customers that are like mom and pop shops. We call them small family companies less so i would say if it's the older generation if it's a younger generation running it they adapt and they accept uh, but it's little by little so i think this is the next step we need to take to say how do we reach them all in all those even very remote locations i mean asia is a big market of course how do we reach them as well do we do that 
digitally in Asia. Currently, we don't. We do it from Europe. But there are definitely paths to be explored here to how to reach them. But many, many are open to it and very acceptable. Wonderful. So I've just launched an audience poll to engage everyone else that's that's listening to us. So the question that's in front of you now on your screens is how much of, of, of an opportunity does this present to you and your business? Select one of the following, please. Much more, somewhat more, as effective as before, somewhat less, or much less. But while, while that's coming through as well, Nathan, I think there's um, there's probably an observation to make that um, it's quite an interesting one in that Actually, if we look at a lot of our consumer lives rather than B2B, we've become very familiar with doing a number of the things that, that Brent talked about and that Marie is potentially moving towards. So if you think about buying cars, you know, buying houses, um, other consumer goods like TVs and mattresses and stuff like that, you know, you can buy a mattress from 10 different online companies now and get a 200 night guarantee to return something, which... Yeah. People 10 years ago would never have considered buying a product like that without going and lying on it and testing it. And I think that goes back to that psychological limitation that, uh, that Brent mentioned. And, you know, you, you can actually get around those things. And I would suspect that probably um, a lot of the mentality that comes from those, um, you know, with a car nowadays, you generally know what car you want when you go to buy it. Um, and a lot of people will generally just go into the showroom to kind of say, yeah, it is everything that I thought it would be, um, I'll have it. And very few people will then drop out from that point of, of purchase. So I think if you can, the more you can put kind of guarantees, you know, commitments and, uh, and faith into those kind of relationships and selling um, and learn from some of those consumer experiences, I think we can transfer that, that confidence over into the B2B world. Mm, really, really good point. So I'm, I'm going to close the poll, poll now and, sh and share the results. And 41% uh, say that uh, the there's an opportunity that does exist, but it's somewhat somewhat more. But so it, it, they're not massively optimistic, but they're somewhat more optimistic. Um, are these the sort of results that that you expected to sort of see, guys? There's sort of cautious optimism here, but not uh, not too much. Point. I think I think this is where you see that creativity point. I think the ones who look to say much more are the ones who are going to find more, if that makes sense, right? It's a this almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy of who's willing to go out and make this into an opportunity. It's going to be very interesting to watch in my mind. I was just going to say my guess would be that the the stats are probably made up to an extent of the um, business sector from which people are coming from, um, yeah. and um, and probably that you know the lower scores will be those that are in. Um, Either, either haven't had the technology in place to be able to make that leap and are therefore frustrated or are in sectors where they just can't adopt those things. You know, there's a client I work with in oil and gas and, and they're, they're in such a specialist niche sector that, you know, being able to go out and do the level of service that, that they offer, um, you have to do it physically. So they would be one of the, the examples that would say, yeah, it has definitely impacted our ability to do business and you can't replace it through technology. It's almost impossible to replace through technology at, at, the, at the current time anyway. So it would be great to hear from those people on the, on the Q&A, Nathan, because it would be great to hear what's driving those, uh, those thoughts and maybe get some questions from those guys around it, or even tell us a little bit about what's, um, what's in, informing their, uh, their views. Definitely. Please save those, those questions for the end for the Q&A, guys. 
really excited to hear your thoughts there. Uh, okay, so question three. So, so much of the subtlety uh, of human interaction is, is lost with, uh, without face-to-face -face interaction, right? Body language, intonation, responsiveness, even the aftershave that we wear, um, you know, all those things play a role in face-to-face -face interactions and face-to-face -face selling. So many salespeople have really struggled to really make that adjustment to remote selling because so many of the intangibles of sales are now lost via Zoom and Teams, etc. So the question is, what does remote selling do to the art of, of salesmanship? You know, I think in some ways um, it, it, it makes you, it, well, sales, first of all, doesn't go away. We'll still have sales reps, at least for the foreseeable future until bots are buying from bots and algorithms run everything. But that's at least 10 years down the road, I think. But the, uh, um, but the, um, the, the, I so real briefly, I talked to a group of head uh, global you know, sales enablement uh, yesterday. So sales enablement executives from companies all over the world. And someone made the very good point, which is our sellers would have never been willing. So if you go back 12 months from today in time, back to tw December 2019, not a single one of us could have possibly imagined that we'd be here where we are today with the abilities that we've developed over the last 12 months. And the only way that we got there is because we had to. We had no choice. And one of them made a really good point. She said, look, if I had gone to my team and said, hey, because of T&E budget cuts, we're no longer going to travel. and We're going to have to see all our clients by uh, virtual. The sales reps would have completely, there would have been a revolution. They would all walked out the door. It would have been a complete crisis. But that sure. wasn't it. I mean, this is, I mean, let's, let's not overlook the fact that we'd all agree this had been a human tragedy. And so there's a real dark side to this, of course. So I want to be very careful about that. But if, if there is ever a silver lining, at least in the sales world, is that, it, to your point, you asked Marie earlier, were your customers willing to go along with this? Your customers had no choice, right? So, and that's the same thing with sellers. They had no choice it's like, because we were faced with a situation where we had to change. We had to figure this out because there was, and, and someone else made a really good point. It's like, and, and you didn't have to do this, ace, uh, there was no asymmetry here. Everyone had to do it. So it wasn't like there was a first mover advantage. The whole market, every industry had to figure out a way to do this and there was no choice. And so as a result, we did it. And I think that's, that's what a powerful thing to see what can happen. The thing, the changes you can make, the changes you can embrace, the, the ways you can evolve when you're faced with no choice. It's been, I think, an incredibly inspiring thing to see over the last 12 months. And the reason why that's interesting is because for the next 12 months, we're going to be we're going to move back into a world where there is a choice. And then it's going to be interesting to see what people do when now they have an, op an option. Uh, and so I think this goes to your question about sort of, you know, what's going to happen to selling and sellers is I think it's going to be the same thing we just talked about for those who realize this works. And I can't tell you how many sales leaders I've talked to around the world have said, so many of our sales reps have figured out that this is actually a good thing for them. They can be more effective. They can be home with their families. They have actually more access to customers than they couldn't imagine before. Uh, they can get more calls in during a day. They have to watch for the exhaustion part, which is real. Um, but so I, I think that there's going to be open mindset individuals who see this as a good thing or are going to find the customers willing to buy this way. And it's going to be, um, it's going to be a pretty powerful thing. I, I fully agree with you. I, I, I think that the, there will be an upside of this because what I can see, I mean, the self-service, many companies now, at least of the industrial companies who set up the e-commerce platforms for spare parts. And it's, it's very convenient. I mean, they don't need to call within office hours. They can call at 10 o'clock or they can place their order at 10 o'clock at night if that's, and they will see the benefits in the long run, as well as remote services, which is, you know, not sending the technician. 
for a customer that can be a, a big difference. They can get the service remotely, they can get the support remotely, they can get the machine up and running. Uh, it's less costly as well. So I think there are many, many benefits that this is pushing really to use, which was much more difficult before to, to get at least our customers to use these uh, remote services and, and remote uh, sales channels. Really, really fascinating, guys. I'm, I'm going to launch a, a poll now and ask and ask the question um, whether or not this actually makes sales easier or harder. So in response to what we've just been discussing, the question that you should have in front of you on your screen now is, does remote selling make the art of salesmanship easier or harder? Please select one of the following. Much harder, a little harder, no change, a little easier or much easier. This is where you need that great German word, yein, which is ja und nein. It's yes and no, all combined into a single word. Yeah. <laughs> the numbers are, numbers are rolling out. I'll give everyone just a few more seconds. Uh, there seems to be a pretty even split at the moment between a little harder and a little easier. <laughs> Nobody really wants to commit to much harder or much easier. I think it depends on how people read the question. If they're, if they're talking about the individual salesperson and their own interaction directly with a with a customer or whether or not it's the sales experience whether or not that's delivered remotely well, semi-remotely virtually etc because because actually a, a, a brilliant hungry salesperson can influence a remote experience or self-serve experience just as much as they can a direct face-to-face -face experience um in, in, in my eyes anyway you know, Nathan, just real quick, just a couple of sort of uh, anecdotes uh, that I've heard from sales leaders um, that gives you both sides of the story. So one is heads of sales have told us, you know, I've had talked to a couple of chief sales officers that, you know, that the, the real power in an in-person sales meeting isn't actually the meeting. It's those three to four minutes where you're walking to the front door of the customer's offices at the end of the meeting where the manager can kind of hold back and have that sidebar conversation with the vice president. And they actually kind of do that little quick sort of, yeah, why don't we make, and there's a lot of, a lot of magic can happen in those two, three minutes of walking down the hall that you don't get on a, on a webinar. So actually, or a, some sort of platform. So this head of sales actually said that they've actually engineered that. So they, they create at the end of a team zoom WebEx call, the manager will often ask the senior person on the customer say, Hey, could you just stick on the line for a couple of minutes? And they'll try to actually recreate that sidebar, that sidebar moment. The other and the second of the two things I mentioned is the, the single biggest thing we heard from chief sales officers in the last four years is an access problem. There's like the number one challenge. We just can't get access to our customers. We just like, like literally just can't get in their offices to see them. We have to get in their office to see them. And, and that we don't hear that nearly as much anymore. It's like we can get access to people now that we could never get access to before. And I think, again, it'll be interesting to see what happens next. But but that's that's this yes and no about better, worse, harder, easier. I think that you see all sorts of different dimensions. Of this um, that is just different. I think is probably the best way to think about it. Thank you for sharing those insights. I'm I'm going to share the results now, um, and it looks as though 38% of people have said it makes sales, the art of salesmanship, a little bit harder. Um, and I guess it goes back to your point, Brent, about those informal conversations that happen either just before the sales meeting or just after the sales meeting don't really happen anymore. Um, there are a lot of intangibles now that really just don't happen. So uh, it does make things slightly harder. But I guess it, it, it looks like a pretty even split across the rest of the answers, though. So 
I think the uh, the jury's still out, and I guess it depends on the industry and the and the product that you're selling, of, of course. And apparently, Nathan, it depends on your cologne, which I hadn't really thought about. <laughs> that's a huge factor. I really uh, noted. Maybe that's why my sales haven't been so good in the last couple of years. We don't need to change my cologne. Um, but anyway, the next question is question number four: remote selling and prospecting specifically. So this goes back to the point that you made earlier, Jeff, around you know, are we are we is it easier for us to now prospect? And actually sell are we able to reach more people now because of these digital tools and and remote selling so remote selling really should make prospecting easier because we can reach many more people in an eight hour period uh, rather than driving across the country or, or flying around the country for a speculative meeting or opportunity on the other hand email our email inboxes and our linkedin inboxes are full of messages from lots of vendors that we'll probably really never see so the question is, how effective are these tools for prospecting, specifically in this environment, and how effective are these tools for servicing clients, which we've probably touched on already, but the prospecting element of this, can we, can we discuss that? I still find it hilarious that, um, that salespeople are just sending me cold stuff that they wouldn't dare to say in person via a LinkedIn message from someone I've never met before and know nothing about their company. But that's just surfacing bad salespeople, um, you know, out of it. And I, I think there's a job to do with, you know, from LinkedIn. I think, um, but LinkedIn has served a, a fantastic number of companies, you know, from a prospecting point of view. Um, and but I'm still shocked how many businesses don't actively engage with LinkedIn and are not using that in in a right way as a platform because it's enormously powerful. Um, and actually, if you just if you just follow five or six basic rules on on LinkedIn in terms of you know rules of engagement actually it, it can it can really reap rewards um, particularly if you if your sales and marketing teams are working in tandem and you're using technology to to really help with that that nurture journey from a prospecting point of view so how do we get that that broader reach and then how do we get that engagement at the very top level of the funnel pre any kind of qualified sales conversation and how can we nurture them down and how can marketeers really give salespeople um, very very well qualified um, well scored opportunities that they can take away and then work but likewise how can salespeople inform that top end of the funnel because i still see a lot of examples where salespeople are genuinely invaluable to a marketeer in terms of insights to customers language they use behaviors, where they're hanging out, what they're doing, what they're saying, the challenges they have to overcome. And you you work as much of that as possible into your content funnel and into your your you know digital touch points that generally a marketeer might be delivering for you. And actually the sales and marketing machine then starts to work a lot more smoothly in terms of uh, of generating opportunities from a prospecting point of view. But I would say as well um, you know that the point I made about learning LinkedIn is that if it, and the big observation I've made is that or had is that if salespeople haven't to date invested their time in learning the value they can get from technology, then they've probably been called short a little bit, um, and they're the ones who are now trying to very hurriedly catch up and 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 and, uh, and you know really rapidly teach themselves some of the tools that are out there. But um, for anyone who hasn't, then you know a lot of those things are pretty easy to do. Um, and they can catch up pretty quickly, but um, I think technology is the, the core of prospecting, particularly in, in this uh, 
in this environment that we're operating in at the moment. Just very briefly, so I think there's a distinction here between prospecting with existing customers versus prospecting completely new customers altogether, new logo acquisitions, hunting versus farming, if you will. And I think if you think about hunting, I mean, when was the last time we prospected in person on the hunting side? I mean, that's literally like going door to door and saying, hey, do you have five minutes for me to talk to you? That's like, you know, so any sales call for a new customer starts with a phone call to set up an appointment at the very least. And that happens not in person, but over the phone. So so uh, I, I think the bigger question here, Nathan, is not whether or not prospecting will happen virtually or not. It already is happening virtually. I think it's more Jeff's point, which is it's happening effectively. It's, that's the, that's the, I think that's, that there's a lot of work to be done there. There is this question about prospecting new opportunities within an existing account where the key account manager, the account manager can go sort of door to door inside the client office and just have informal conversations. That is um, currently now, of course, shut down. And so shifting that to digital or at least figuring out ways to do that virtually would be interesting. I think that the biggest question I hear from marketers on the, on the prospecting side is events. It isn't actual. So what do I do with the fact that, you know, like events were our big uh, demand gen tool and they are shut down. So again, I've seen some incredible creativity on virtual events uh, and creating virtual uh, environments in which uh, customers can interact with one another. I think in many ways for prospecting, if I'm looking for the next big opportunity for prospecting, I would I would look there in terms of what are these always on 24-7, almost like um, virtual conferences that I can create for my customers where we can create a, just a place. Almost like I was joking with one head of marketing area. He's like, because what he'd done is essentially created like the hollow deck for the nerdy Star Wars or Star Trek fans out there. It's like, he's got this essentially like this always on conference and you can go and meet up and go to breakouts and and uh, participate in events when it's staffed and when it's not staffed it's all asynchronous but it's always there and always on and there's exhibit halls and um it's going to be incredible and i think that's that's where the future of prospecting lies combined with jeff your points about the getting the right information to the marketers to put into those kinds of places from sales i think will be critical well i agree with you i mean this it's it, the, the events will be fewer and fewer, even when we are going to be able to meet again. Uh, they will be fewer and fewer. The, the really big ones will probably, I think, not, not come back. It will be more customized, smaller events, if anything. And, and there are superb digital alternatives coming up and they will be much, they will grow better and better for, for, with time. I mean, we have just started. This was also something we were forced to do so uh, they will grow better. And I think I can tie back to what I said before with the data, because with this, when, when we don't meet in that way, we, we need to keep track of our contacts, our prospects, our customers, everything that we hear, that a salesperson hear and learn needs to be documented one way or the other and registered. So it can be tapped into from others as well to create then opportunities within existing clients or with, with new clients. Um, I'm going to launch a poll. How effective are these new sales tools in reaching and servicing your customers? Please select one of the following. Much more, somewhat more as effective as before, somewhat less or much less. Please submit your responses now. And it's really interesting. Okay, so 39 to 35% of people say that it's somewhat more effective through reaching customers or just as effective as, as before. So going back to your point, uh, Brent, around really, I guess no one really, you know, everyone had to set up a, a, a meeting with a prospect either by phone or email before anyway. So it doesn't really change things that much more. 
the fact that we're um, having to do that now anyway. So what, I'm what you're looking at there, Nathan, is this is the quantitative version of it depends. That's what you're looking at on the screen. <laughs> yeah. And so far, we've had that with all the responses, which is, yeah. which is really interesting. So the final question to everyone is B2B leaders that commit to further digitizing their go-to-market sales models will see a big competitive advantage in the future. So the question is, to what extent do you agree or disagree with that statement? I'll, I'll keep mine short. I agree 150%. I'll keep mine short, but be slightly controversial. It will it will only give competitive advantage if others don't. Fair point. It's a fair point. <laughs> it's a level playing field. If everyone accelerates at the same pace, it will be a level playing field. Yeah. But if you don't, and everyone else does, you're way behind. So it's it's. Uh, but, but, but you, Jeff, you and I are in agreement here. But yes, that's that's the dynamic. Yeah. T totally agree. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that there will definitely be a competitive advantage, definitely. But possibly the, the point to take on this, Nathan, is, and you know, I, I talk, I'm sure I talked to you about this a while ago, is that when you're looking at sales or marketing budgets, I, I always encourage businesses to keep aside a small percentage of stuff that they can put towards things that are calculated risks. And if in your sector you see that others are lagging behind in terms of investments in certain things, or you see an opportunity that particularly can be led by technology investment or some form of virtual sales investment, take a risk on it because actually that could give you first leader advantage in your marketplace and give you that competitive edge. Um, and and it, even if it doesn't work how you expect it to, you will learn heaps from it rather than just waiting to follow everything that everybody else does. Does that make sense? Because you just end up them being the same as everyone else. So. You've got to go hunting and looking for something that will give you a, a, a differential and give you that edge because otherwise somebody else will get there and you'll just end up being a follower. Really interesting. So what I've done now is I've launched the final poll. So if, if you could all uh, put in your response to this, B2B leaders that commit to further digitizing their go-to-market sales models will see a big competitive advantage in the future. Please select one of the following. Strongly agree, somewhat agree, somewhat disagree, strongly disagree. Jeff, this goes back to your point about differentiation. And, and you know, I think it probably goes by market segment or sector or, uh, or vertical, doesn't it, right? So in, in the tech sector versus heavy manufacturing, the, the answer might be very different here, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. But, but, but likewise, you know, if you could give um, a virtual, um, you know, a full virtual tour of some form of heavy plant uh, machinery, um, you know, matched up with a very personalized audit of your needs, that could be something that doesn't exist elsewhere and therefore will give you that edge, but it doesn't have to exactly. be significant. You know? Yeah. So yeah, the, the, the answers are fairly as expected really. And I would think with the, the same kind of thought process. You know, the, the challenge here, of course, is not answering the question as we all know, of course, the challenge is go get the budget and the organizational fortitude to go make this happen along with the creativity we talked about before. That's going to be interesting to watch Absolutely. who wins that battle. Absolutely. And that's that balance between able to, being able to prove the value um, to justify the investment, which is difficult in a in a time where things are changing and everything is brand new, versus um, taking calculated risks that have an element of logic and assumption behind them, but maybe haven't got a benchmark, you know, measure or statistic, and and you just take a bit of a leap of faith to try and leapfrog. That's the magic of the first mover, isn't it? The first mover advantage. Absolutely, it's never never reckless, but there still has to be an element of you know 
gut feel and calculated risk within it. We'll now like to open it, open it up to questions from the attendees. So there, there is a, a question that has, has come in. I'm not sure who, who this is by, but um, uh, someone said, Jeff mentioned rules of engagement on LinkedIn. Uh, I think you said, I think you mentioned there are a handful of, of rules of engagement on, on LinkedIn. What are some of the rules of engagement? So if so, first first of all, sell as a sell as a person, not as a business. Um, there's too many businesses jumping on business pages and they don't work. So if you're a salesperson, establish yourself with a with a um, you know a personal account. Um, there's a great tool called um, SSI Score on LinkedIn. If anybody hasn't heard of that, so search for that on LinkedIn. It's a bit of fun. There's a bit of a myth behind whether or not it really matters, but it'll tell you what your score is out of 100 and uh, and gives you four different areas to improve on. Um, if you can get to 70, then the myth is that you will you will have higher prevalence on, on LinkedIn's algorithm, but um, I'm not here to say that that is fact or, or not. Um, in terms of other rules of engagement, I think just the obvious ones, you know, um, um, don't go cold selling on a first message because the likelihood is, particularly if you've got no, nothing really differentiated, so you're just going to get ignored or deleted or disconnected. Try and try and connect with people with a real kind of you know, human connection and a real value connection, and uh, and then give them you know some form of material or um, information that would that will help um, them in whatever they're doing, and and engage with LinkedIn. You know, post regularly useful stuff that people actually want to read, and you know that it answers the questions of the pains that your um, potential um, or or you know prospect customers will have. Um, and then engage with other other content as well. There's nothing wrong with sharing industry-wide content, statistics, reports, things like that, because people value you as a thought leader sharing those kind of things. Um, you know, so so engage with them, comment on them. LinkedIn loves people commenting on things. So you see something that's interesting, and it's by a client that you want to get into. Go go comment on their on their activity and follow them. Um, and there's a load of stuff that you can do in Sales Navigator as well, some really cute little tricks in there. Um, but that's the, they're beyond the sort of standard rules of engagement. But yeah, get involved in it, do it authentically, you know, with genuine voice, provide value, um, commit to it and do it regularly. And, uh, and you'll, you'll start to see some benefit from that. Because going cold and not doing all of that surrounding support stuff is more than likely not going to get you seen or, or, or even foot in the virtual door. Mm, great advice. So, so we've got a two-part question coming here. Um, I'm not sure who, who it's from, but it says, which industries do you think have the most to gain from the, the digital shift in sales? And the other part of this is, um, on the other hand, which industries do you think might struggle most to adapt to these changes? I'm curious, Marie, what you think of this coming from where you do. I mean, because because I would imagine you come from a place where a lot of people are thinking, I'm digital. Like you, you kind of made the point earlier, right? There's so do you, does that give you guys the biggest advantage for the one dare, willing to dare to take the step because there's everyone else is less willing in your world or or, or not? I think so. Yeah, I, I really do think so. I mean, everyone is struggling. Everyone is trying to to find their way through this digitalization, this, this new technology. So, and if, if we can be successful here in reaching customers, in doing it in the right way, because that is the thing, and it needs to be customized. I think these big 
public webinars are, are, are good sometimes, but it's not good for selling products. It's good for discussions, for, for ideas. Uh, but, but that needs to be explored and that needs and that can be very, very successful. There definitely is a big gain there. You know, and in some ways, it kind of picks up on Jeff's point too. I think where you know the, the digital, what, what, where the magic is, is in its source it, to the degree that it's a source of differentiation. So the question, like, where is it the biggest opportunity, but where is it least likely to happen, is probably the same place. So it's like the place where it's the biggest opportunity is the place where it's least likely to happen because the others aren't going to be as willing or as likely to go on that journey with you. So if you look at something like you know startup technology, kind of everybody's doing it. So it's more of a table stakes than a differentiator, but. But if you look at heavy manufacturing and, and there's, you know, just a, whether it's your, like, uh, there's a number of companies in the heavy manufacturing, manufacturing space that's kind of begun to figure this out. And they're just way ahead of everyone else because it's more of a traditional sales model where people are less willing to do it. And as a result of it being more traditional, it's going to be harder for people to wrap their brain around why they need to change. So it's a, so it's this weird answer where like the, the place where the biggest opportunity lies is the place where it's least likely to happen, I think. Really, really, really fascinating stuff. Guys, any closing thoughts? Um, are we optimistic or pessimistic about the future? I'd be interested in everyone's closing thoughts as we wrap this up. I'm very optimistic about the future, absolutely. I think there is so much to gain here and to to change. Um, I mean, in, in the end of the day, it can also be some kind of cost saving because uh, at least in the industry where I am, where we have these huge, huge trade shows uh, that cost a fortune, but we can we can transform that that investment into uh, more personalized and more digital um, experiences for, for customers. I'm definitely very much uh, uh, positive here. I think, I think where I land, Nathan, is if, if you think back across the last 12 months, it, it's worth doing this, I think, as both as an individual and as an organization. You just think of all the things that we've accomplished individually and, or, and organizationally, and really as a society in the last 12 months, that 12 months ago we would have told you or you would have thought would have been impossible. Um, it's, it's pretty incredible. I think that the opportunity here is how do we keep that mindset going forward? Because, again, the pressure is, as the vaccines roll out and, and things come back to normal across the second half of the coming year, the pressure to to change will be diminished and it's going to be up to us individually to keep that motivation up without simultaneously becoming exhausted and i think it's the ones who find that secret sort of thread that needle of keeping up motivation without finding and in a sustainable manner are going to be the one that that's who i'm optimistic for and i'm optimistic that that number proportional to society will be greater than it has been over the last 10 years and so that's that leaves me optimistic thank you and jeff any any closing thoughts um, I, I, my, so my my first um, thought would just go out to if there's anybody on the webinar who has suffered in a sector that has indiscriminately been affected by COVID, then you know that that's incredibly difficult. And Marie obviously will have had an element of that in the in the the sector that you work in because you know previously when we've had downturns, it, downturns affect bad businesses, and that's generally what filters out you know, the economy is that businesses that are badly run, um, that, that have been struggling for a number of years, generally a downturn will will shut them down and you'll end up with the strongest surviving. And I just think this, the whole last eight, 12 months, I mean, everybody knows has been indiscriminate in the way that it's affected some sectors and not not others. Um, so 
um, for, for any of those that have been affected to you know very severely then genuinely I hope that you have some optimism and I hope that that what we've talked about today gives you some things that you can think about that can potentially be implemented I think um, I think you know more broadly and, and and overall I think we can be very optimistic um, um, I think the, the one word that, that I have been thinking about a lot over the last few weeks is choice um, so businesses, when we come out of this, are going to have more choice and a richer choice of of options on how they run their business because we've we've broken down a lot of those barriers that we talked about. And I think you know that's the most interesting thing. If you, if you want to go and it will work for you to go back to 100% face to face B two B selling and that's right for your sector, then absolutely go and do that. But it may well be in some cases that actually you then have a choice to be able to mix that up and and have a richer you know, more variable um, experience, maybe that even is personalized down to individual clients, locations, types, etc., so that you can you can really have a very variable sales model that isn't just a one size fits all. So, so that I think is, is one of the really interesting things and very optimistic things because it's broken the, the traditional blueprint of, of a lot of businesses, but forced many of them to, to actually realize that, that there are better and sometimes Know, more efficient, cost-effective uh, ways of doing things. So, so choice is, is my uh, optimistic word of choice. <laughs> really well said, guys. Thank you all so much for doing this. Really appreciate your time and, and your thoughtful responses today. And uh, thank you to everyone that's attended as well. Really appreciate your time as well. Um, the any additional questions will be posted on our blog, uh, and we'll source the answers from our, our panelists as well. So visit. Fox.agency to, to find it. Also, the recording of the webinar will be on, on the website as well. So visit fox.agency slash client side and also subscribe to our uh, regular podcast. We have an awesome podcast hosted by yours truly, of course. Uh, so listen, subscribe, and um, let us know what you think. So thank you very much for your time again. Really appreciate that, guys. And um, thank you. Thank you all. Cheers, everybody. Stay safe out there. If you'd like to share any comments on this episode or any episode of Client Side, then find us online at fox.agency. If you'd like to appear as a guest on the show, please email chloe at fox.agency. The people that make the show possible are Chloe Murray, our booker slash researcher. David Clare is our head of content. Ben Fox is our executive producer. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to Client Side from Fox Agency. Join us next time on Client Side, brought to you by Fox Agency.